Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. John chapter 6, uh, we're going to go through uh, verse 1 through 21, and uh, I think you have five fill-ins in there. And it's one of the cool stories in the Bible. It's the multiplication of the fish and the loaves. And uh, let, me, let me begin by, <clears throat> by, 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 by telling you that something happened to me just recently. <clears throat> How many have grown-up kids? They're grown-up, okay. I mean, at least they're physically, right, grown-up. Right? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. But uh, so um, uh, the, that Sunday morning that uh, I couldn't preach because my knee, I first hurt my knee when I strained the ligament. I just couldn't walk. I was in so much pain and Charlie Vicar was preaching. I'm in the AV room and it's uh, <clears throat> second service is about to start and I'm sitting there and look at my phone. It's my son Nathan and he calls me. It's about 15 till 10 and I know he's playing drums that day at Riverside. I'm thinking, why are you calling me right before you have a service over there? You're, you're the drummer today. And I go, yeah, Nathan, what's up? And, uh, and by the way, Nathan loves when I tell any story about him, okay? He just, he's a true Del Campo. He just likes the limelight. And he goes, Dad, you know, you ever kids ever call you, Dad, you know, it's, a, it's the urgent Dad. It's not, hey, Dad, are you, Dad, you know, it's like, and he goes, Dad, you know, uh, the garage door, there's, a, the, there's wires hanging. Lindsay, his wife, called him. He's at Riverside New Beginnings. She can't get out of the garage, okay? So it's in crisis mode. And so, Dad, you know, he's tell, the whole story, I go, okay, is it a spring? And, I, and then he finally says, no, I'm not there. It's, it's Lindsay. She can't get out. He goes, can she open it if it's broken? I go, oh, yeah, you can open the garage door. You have a release. It should have a release. You can open it manually. You can close it, this and that. Oh, oh, okay, thanks. And he hangs up, all right? So then about three days later, this, the week progresses. This was, uh, this is, yeah, it was late last week. He calls me, Dad, you know, here he comes again, right? I go, um, and see, he, he lives in Riverside off uh, Riverwalk. He bought a house there two years ago, and, uh, and he sold that house now after two years, and he's buying a house twice the size. He lives in your neighborhood, but he sold it. He's moving today, actually, moving in, and uh, because he wants to have, like, 149 children and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> you're going to see him with his own cult. And, no, I'm just joking, but no, they want a bunch of kids, so he bought a bigger house, you know, it's like this big old house, and... Um, and so um, he calls me, Dad. I go, yeah, well, what's going on? He goes, yeah, there, can you? Because uh, the first house, you know how you know you pay your principal, interest, tax, and insurance, your PITI in your payment, right? Well, that's the way he had it in the first house. And he goes, can, can you pay your property tax and insurance separate on your I go, yeah, a lot of people do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I go, yeah, you don't have to pay it in your impounds, but just know that you're going to get a property tax bill um, later in the year, and it's going to have two little vouchers in there. You're going to pay the first one, like, by December 10th, is it still? And then the other one by April 10th. That's the way you got to do it. So just know that's going to happen. Oh, oh, okay. And then after I tell him that, here's what he tells me, and I quote. Don't go dying on me too soon. I need you for all these questions. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, well, I found my purpose in life, my reason for living. To answer Nathan's questions. That's, that's what they need me for, to answer them. Now, here's my whole point of the story that I'll bring all the way back to the end again after the story, after you go through the whole thing. Nathan, this is his first time with a garage door spring breaking. He didn't know what it was all about. 
This is his first time not paying in the impounds, but paying property tax and insurance separate. Never been there before. So he calls me. I've had garage door springs break at least four or five times in my life. So this is, I've been through this before. I pay my, I don't pay, I, I pay my property tax separate. I pay my fire insurance separate. So I've been this before. I've also paid them in impounds. I've done both ways. And so I've been there before, but he's never been there before. But now that he's going through it, now the next time the garage door spring breaks at his house or it comes up with impounds, he knows exactly what to do because he's been there before and he won't panic and call me and go, Dad, you know, he won't do that anymore because he'll know, have experience. So with that said, we're going to look at the story of the disciples. And Jesus is going to take them through a test, something that they have to go through because they need the experience because they've never been through something like this before, and it's going to play big time in their life later on. So keep that in your mind, because when I get to the end of tonight's Bible study, I'll piece that back into the story, but we're going to go through the story, because it's one of the best stories there is in John. And you know, and there's a lot of good stories in John, but this is a really, really cool one. So here we go. Let's I have five fill-ins, but we'll start first four verses. Let me read them and do some commentary and build the story up as we go. Now, Chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. Uh, a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Now a few comments, here we go. So <clears throat> now he's leaving the Jerusalem area and he's going from the south of Israel and he's going to the north. These are not long journeys, okay? But he gets back into the Galilee area or Tiberias. And Tiberias is another name for that area, the Sea Galilee. And there's a city called Tiberias. It sits on the south western side of the Sea of Galilee. Remember the Sea of Galilee is not a sea in the sense like it's some big massive thing. It's a lake. It's like seven miles by 14 miles. It's just a pretty good sized lake is what it is. But it's called the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus now has traveled to the north. Now, now people are following him because they see the signs, which means he has been healing a lot of people. Has he not? Been a lot of stuff going on. And so people are following him. And Jesus knows, and we'll see that more next week because it gets really comical when the people are trying to get more stuff from him. But he knows they're following him for what they can get. He knows that most people are, are there because he's doing stuff and I can get this stuff from him. So he, he understands that completely. He takes the disciples up on the mountain uh, to, to dialogue with them. And, it's, and then it is stated in the story that the, um, the feast, the Passover of the Jews is at hand. So we know uh, month-wise, it's probably March, April in that time of year. So it's springtime. Now remember, and don't forget this, because it said Passover of the Jews. We've seen that before in the gospel. They don't, John's not calling it the Passover of the Lord, as it was stated back in the Old Testament. It's called Passover of the Jews now because it has lost all its meaning, it has lost all its power, because all the Passover now was, was a time for the religious leaders to fleece the people and get as much money off them on that temple mount as they possibly could. So it's called, so John calls it the Passover of the Jews, not the Passover of the Lord. So with that said, that's kind of your whole intro into this. And so here we go, number one of five things in your notes, if you take notes. The first thing is Jesus tests us. 
Have you ever noticed that to be true? Trust us all the time. Look at 5 and 6. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes, and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now, verse 6. This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Now, when the word test there, Jesus is going to test them, is inserted in the narrative, it has a wide range of meaning, the word test. It can be positive, it can be negative. It dep- the nature of the test depends on the person giving you the test, is really what it all boils down to. Let me give you some for instance. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tested by the, the devil, right? So, he's being tested. When Satan there tests Jesus, he's testing him to do him in, correct? He wants him to sin. Now, Jesus has to go through the temptations because we know that he'll be tempted in all ways as you and I are, and yet without sin. So, he's got to pass these tests as, as a fully human being. But God doesn't send him there to do him in. God sends him there to show him off, does he not? Never forget that when we go through tests, God doesn't send us through a test to do us in. He sends us to show us off. Because remember when God speaks to Satan or Satan speaks to God, he says, have you considered my servant Job? Remember that? He says, come on, consider Job. Watch with him. You can go ahead and do this, this, and this to him, but you can't do this, this, and this. And in that story, you find out that even Satan is given limitations by God of what he can do to anyone. And it's not a good thing. Amen. It's limitation. So you see on the one side, there's that kind of test. But then there's the other idea within testing. And if you keep a marker here, turn to your right over to James, the half-brother of Jesus, way near the end, James chapter 1, kind of familiar, a few verses for many of us probably. And notice what it says here. In James chapter 1 and verse 2 and verse 3, and it says this. James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How many of you do that? I don't. It's like, really? Joy? But consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Let me give you a little secret to that. When you encounter trials. Then say, start having joy when you're in the middle of a trial. You should already have joy in your life, and then you're going to encounter trials. So you're bringing the joy of the Lord into the situation because you already have the joy of the Lord in you. Do you follow that line of thinking? It makes more sense that way, does it not? Now look at verse 3. Here's why you can have this joy. Knowing, now you're going to know something. Knowing that the testing, there it is, of your faith produces what? Say it out loud. Endurance, Endurance, whatever. Some of these different versions. Now, the word, uh, the idea of the test there to, to create endurance in us, the idea of endurance is to mature us and to perfect us or to complete us. And so that's why Jesus is testing the disciples. It's to mature them. It's to grow them. It's to complete them. It's the same reason he tests you and I. There's always a growth in our life that we can experience in our life. Now, look back at verse 5 of John chapter 6. Now, look at verse 5. Yourself. I won't read it, but look at it. Uh, he looks up in verse 5, and what does he see? He sees a large crowd, right? He looks up, sees a large crowd. Question, does that remind you of any other time earlier in John Any other similarity to that? And it should, because a Samaritan woman, remember? She goes to the town, she tells all the guys about Jesus, and then they're coming back, correct? The whole town's coming, and it says 
Jesus now is using them, walking toward him, and he's using that as an object lesson with the disciples, and he says to them, lift up your eyes, for the fields are white for harvest. So the crowd's coming. Now he's saying basically a similar idea right here. He looks up, they're up there on the hillside, and he sees, he sees all the crowds coming to him right there. Now, the test begins with a what? A question. Jesus begins with a question, and he says to his disciples in verse 5, where are we going to buy enough bread to feed all these people? Question. Has, have you ever read where Jesus is really worried about feeding everybody food? Have you ever read where Jesus said, where are we going to buy some food after? Have you ever read that before? You don't read that anywhere else. So for me, this is like, why all of a sudden is he worried about buying people food? Well, you realize when it says, well, this was a test. So that's why he throws the question out to the disciples. So it's kind of an out-of-the-blue thing, but when you put it in the context of a test, now it makes perfect sense. Now let's move to point two. Point two is this. Jesus is always in control over the situations in our lives. And you can all say amen to that one, okay? Now, we're staying in these two verses, verses 5 and 6. Look at verse 6. Jesus, this he said, this he was saying to test him, for he what? What did Jesus know? What does it say in verse 6? He what? He what? Louder, he what? He knew what he's going to do. Why is that important to always remember? Why is it always important to remember that Jesus knows what he's going to do? How many times have I wondered in my life, Jesus, do you know what you're doing? Jesus, do you know what's going on here? Do you, you know, you think Jesus is up in heaven going, I really don't know what I'm doing, you know? No, you know, but we feel like, you know, do you know what you're doing? Look, guys, if anyone doesn't know what they're doing, who is it? It's us. He always knows what he's doing. So, this teaches us within the concept of a test in our life who's in control at all times. Jesus. He's always in control of our life. Let me take you to a statement you will hear me use repeatedly to prove this point. Mark here and go later on in John to John chapter 19. This is always a very comforting set of verses for me. Look at John 19. <clears throat> And I'm going to read verses, we're going to read together verses 7 through 12. Now, this is his trial before Pontius Pilate. And things are going to get dicey. Pilate's trying to find a way out of it. He doesn't know how to get out of the whole thing. But verse 7 says, when the Jews, the Jews answered him, they're pressuring Pontius Pilate. We have a law. And by that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. So that's a lot of pressure, right? For Pilate. Verse 8. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Now this is terrifying for Pilate. Verse 9, and he entered into the praetorium, that's the Roman barracks there in the fortress of Antonia up on the Temple Mount, and said to Jesus, now imagine this, he's got Jesus inside the praetorium, and he pulls him aside and he says, where are you from? Because he's been told, that this guy makes himself out to be the son of God. What's Pilate really asking? Who are you? Who in the world are you? Because this is getting really like twilight zony, okay? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now Pilate's feeling the pressure. Now look at verse 10. So Pilate said to him, 
He's trying to pressure Jesus to say something. You do not speak to me? He says, now watch what he tells you. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? He says, do you understand that, Jesus? That I have the authority over your life? I can kill you or I can let you live. Now watch Jesus answer. Jesus answered, because now he's going to break silence. He says, um, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. What was Jesus making himself out to be again? God. Unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Whoa. Now, verse 12. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Okay. Think about what just happened in the interaction right there. <clears throat> Don't you know I can release you or I can have you crucified? Let me put it the way in Jim Duck Campbell version. Jesus, Jesus tells him, You are kidding yourself. You really think you have authority here. You really think you're in control? You really think you're calling the shots? We're going to see as we read more and more in John as we just go by that Jesus will use, he's already used words like my hour has not come, my time has not come. They're trying to push him to move faster. He says, my time is not there yet. Jesus is in total control of what is happening around him, around him. So now back to John, uh, John 6. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> now quest, question, look at verse 5. Who did Jesus ask, where are we to buy bread so all these people meet? Who did he specifically ask? Yes, Philip. Now, why Philip? Why would you ask Philip? You know? And this is just a possibility. Because you go back to chapter 1 when he's picking the disciples, guess where Philip is from? The Galilee area. He's from Bethsaida. Bethsaida used to be a fishing town, but now the water's receded through erosion in the north side of Galilee, and now there's no water in that area. But he's from the area. So it's almost like, hey, Philip, you're from here. You know the good restaurants. Where's the food trucks? You know, where are we going to get food? It's like, that's what he's asking the guy, if you think about it in real practical terms. Now look at verse 7. Now Philip's going to respond to Jesus. Now watch what Philip says. Philip answered him. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. Okay, how many of you are really good bean counters when it comes to money and making assessments on money and stuff like that? And you can sit there and say, not going to happen, right? You only have this much, can't do it. We have this much, can do it. Well, that's what Philip is all about. He looks around. We know there's 5,000 men. They're not counting women and children. And he says, well, 200,000, I mean, 200 denarii is not going to be enough to feed the people. Now, is it possible... And by the way, one denarii is what would uh, a day laborer's wage would be for one day's work. They get one denarii. So is it possible that that's how much money they had in the money box as they traveled? Because they did have a money box. Remember Judas steals from the money box? Maybe they had 200 denarii. Maybe he knows how much is in there. I, I don't know. But he says it's not enough. But notice his words because his words are very important. 200 denarii is not enough money to even buy what? A little. Remember he said that, to buy a little. Question, who's he speaking to? The creator of the universe? It'll only give us a little. 
He's speaking to the one who has so much abundance. Now, I would have said the same thing if I'm Philip. I'm not putting him down. But how, how often do we underestimate what God can do? Right? Come on, how often? All the time. So let me give you some testimony. Can I give you some? <clears throat> so I never get to share these things from Sunday morning. It just has to do with church and things that God does and behind the scenes. And so in 2020, when the shutdown happened, it was like, and my first, obviously, because I'm, I'm a man of faith, I had great fear, you know, so that we're not going to recover and, you know, tithing's going to drop and what are we going to do? And, you know, because, you know, I'm a man of faith, but I am. That year in, in uh, July, we put a new carpet in here. That year, we painted the exterior of the entire facility, front and back. That year, we put in the gating at the kids' ministry, you know, the nice black gating back there to protect the kids. That year. Came to about $63,000. Had to be done. Right at the end of 2020, um, COVID's still in full swing. Four different people from church gave some year-end big offering stuff, totaled about $63,000, $64,000. Paid for everything. Paid for everything. I'm not finished, though, okay? 2019, we had to put a new roof on this. And by the way, uh, which was $38,000. And by the way, when I first started the church, I remember we got our first office. Vic, you remember the first office on April? It was $610 a month. I thought, where will we ever get $610 a month? You know, and that's how God brings you along, right? And then the bills get bigger and bigger. So $38,000 for the roof. And we had to put it on because back when we built this, if you remember, that was when things were cranking the economy and building, building. You couldn't get good workers to work anywhere because they would snatch them up. They're grabbing anybody to work. So there's a lot of shoddy work done here. We've had to do a lot of repair work, especially in the sprinkler systems of this place. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the sprinkler for fire, we had to go back and do so much. But 38000 I thought, okay, we got to do it. We have no choice. And then, like two days later, somebody calls me up and says, yeah, I'm going to send you $20,000. They didn't know about the roof. They were going to send you $20,000. They didn't send it to me. Okay, let's set that straight. All right. They sent it to the church, all right? So if, I see me, if you see me with a mink coat, I paid for it. No, I'm just joking. I'm going, praise the Lord on that one. Can I give you another one? Okay, <clears throat> now we have multiple campuses, right? Well, that's more money. And I'm thinking, God, you're driving me insane. God, what are you doing here? And I never had this vision for branching out, but there were prophecies over my life in the last four years that we would branch out and things like that, that that would be the way. And I always see God doing these things. But at Harupa, we have to put on a brand new roof on the entire thing. How many know that's not cheap? You've seen that roof, right? It's terrible looking. It's bad. It's the, so we get estimates for it and everything. It's like, oh, we don't have this $150,000. And, and you're looking at it, like, you don't have a choice. And then somebody, a, a company decides they're going to basically do it at cost. And they're going to do it for $64,000, $65,000. So we put in to the insurance, maybe we'll get a couple thousand bucks, just anything, okay? So we put it. The day I signed the papers on that $64,000, $65,000 to go put that new roof on, we get a call from the insurance saying, uh, yeah, you're going to receive a check for $65,000 to repair that roof. And I said, I go, why do I underestimate God? Why, why do I do this? I watched him do so many things. I watched him take care of us so many ways. Look, if it's God's kingdom, he's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it. And I've seen it again and again and again. 
I don't want to underestimate God. I have a tendency to underestimate God. I don't want to. But my big passion now is I want to build that youth student center out there on the grass. I want to build it. And I, it's going to be a, a metal building going up, and it's not still not cheap, and I want the right facade on it inside, nice for teenage students. I want to have big, a bigger area in the back behind the seats where you put the skateboard ramps and stuff in there so it's a massive youth center. It's a bit about a half million dollars. Do I have a half million dollars? No. Does God have it somewhere? I'm, I'm looking for it, okay? I'm waiting for it. I don't want to underestimate God. I want to see this happen because my passion always has been, always will be, because I was a youth pastor at one, t- at one time, is for young people. I want to see young people come to Christ because they're the next generation, guys. We need to do that. We need to put our money where our mouth is and reach these people. You know, we've had our day. We've had our day. If you ever complain about the I don't like the, I like the old music. It's not about you. You and I are older now, okay? Sure, I want to go back to the old. Yeah, I'd like to go back, you know. We exalt thee. The young people don't want to go back there. So I got to reach them, okay? So you cool with that one right there? Okay, good. I didn't mean to chastise you. But anyway, yeah, I did. See, don't underestimate God. Paul writes in Philippians 4.19. We're not going to turn there. It's in your notes. He says, and my God shall what? Supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. All your needs. You're going to supply it all. And we have to trust that. If you're going to walk in the vision of God, in the kingdom of God, and do what God says, he'll supply it all. You never have to worry about it. Number three in your notes. Faith and circumstance collide. Now, this is where you and I really live. Faith and circumstance collide. Now, watch verse 8 and 9. It says this. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? I love that verse. Now, let me tell you what's happening. When Jesus is asking Philip, Hey, where are we going to buy enough bread? You're from around here. Where's the in and out truck at? Exactly, right? What's Andrew doing? He's walking through the crowd. He's looking for somebody that has some food. Now, guys, there are 5,000 men there, not counting women and children. He, Andrew's walking around. He finds somebody with food. Huh, and he brings, he can, follow me. And he brings him. Andrew is always bringing someone to Jesus. You follow his life in the Gospels. Go back to chapter 1. He's bringing Peter to Jesus. He's always bringing. He brings the Greeks later to Jesus. Here, he's bringing a lad to Jesus. You always see this consistency in his life. Now, let's break this thing down. He finds this guy. The word lad, it means a little boy. Barley loaves. It's a typical Mediterranean diet. Look up at me. It's bread about five inches in diameter. It's about like this. He's got five of them. Five. Well, we're really cranking now, huh? And he's got fish. Greek means little fish. Maybe little ones that they would marinate or whatever they do so he could take them on a trip and have them. This is his little lunch. This is what's funny about the story. It's a little, little lunch. And the guy is just a little lad. He's a young kid. And here he is. And Andrew says, oh, I found somebody with a lunch. Hey, come here. Let's go show Jesus the lunch. We're going to feed thousands of people. But here's what's cool about it. Andrew comes up to Jesus. I found somebody with five loaves and two fish. Is that faith? Now watch the next statement. But what are these for so many people? Is that circumstance now? Faith, circumstance. 
Faith gets excited, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, we can do it. Oh, but wait, look at the problem in front of us. Faith and circumstance. It's always that way. Faith versus circumstance. Now, you and I struggle with the same thing, right? We always, I struggle with that. I get all excited about things, step out, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh no. How am I going to get it? Can I tell you a little story also that happened today? He, he won't mind. I didn't ask him yet. My Nathan, like I said before, he loves his name in the limelight. So he called me up this morning. Dad! <laughs> He's moving, right? He's got the big U-Haul truck. He's like, Dad, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Did I make the right decision? <laughs> and I'm on the phone going, like I've never been there before, you know. And he's like, oh my gosh, there's so much to do and this and that. Because now he's feeling about all that he's having to do, right? So he's, got, he's got to paint the whole interior of the house. He's got to transfer everything over. And he's having a, uh, did I make the right decision? Oh my God. <laughs> I go, hey. Um, <clears throat> I said, um, well, he said, he said, I just, I, I feel like I, I make the right. I go, you said what? Oh, I feel, I go, oh, you feel. Oh, we're going to go by feelings now, right? Are you going to go by faith or are you going to go by your feelings? Uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. You know, and I said, let's remember back, Nathan. Let's remember back. Remember there was a time, and I won't tell you what the situation was, but I wish I could. It's funny. There was a time when there was something he was hoping for in his life, and and he's just, and he, I talked to him, I talked, you gotta have hope, this and that and everything. Three days later, he calls me, there's a break in it. He's a school teacher, breaking his car. Dad, I'm losing hope. And I said, oh, it only took three days, huh? Well, that's a lot of faith. <laughs> three days and you lose all hope, <laughs> that's it. God didn't do it in three days, so it's over now. I go, that's all it took? He goes, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. I go, remember that time when you were losing hope? And what did God do? He goes, he did it. I go, yeah, that's right. You're feeling overwhelmed and you're going with your feelings and you're forgetting what God has done in the past and he can do it again. He can do it again. You don't go with your feelings. You go with your faith. You go with what you believe. You go with what Jesus said. You go. And hopefully that helps somebody here because you can fall into your feelings and you're not saved by what your feelings and you don't operate by what your by feelings are great, but you've got to temper those feelings with what you believe about God and what God says about you. Now, let me give you a third thing about this, this little lad here. I love the fact that the lad, he's coming and he's got the, look at me again, he's got this five little loaves of fish, well, bread and little fish, two little fish. Now, is he willing to give up everything for everybody? Yeah, don't you think he's hungry? Here's the whole point there. He's now hanging around with the disciples who are next to Jesus. The more you hang around with Jesus, don't you become more generous? At least we should, huh? The more we hang around with God, Jesus, because God is a giver, amen, amen, the more generous we become. And here's the cool thing about it. Can you outgive God? No. You cannot outgive God. You're blessed to be a blessing. And the stingier we become, the more the pipeline dries up. And the more you bless others, the more you give, the more God gives back. He just does it. Just trust it. The kid gives up his lunch. He's going to get, and you'll see it later, he's going to get more food than that because everybody is filled. Everybody. He gives it all up and he gets way more back. That's the way God works. 
You can trust it. You could take it to the bank, my friends, that God does that. So don't panic when it comes to God. Now, verse 10 and 11, watch this. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now it's going to get funny again, okay? Have the people sit down. <clears throat> now, there was much grass in the place. Um, and that's not a 60s term like much grass, you know. So, so relax. I always have to say that there because it just makes me laugh. For, you. for us 60s people, grass means something else, okay? Um, much grass in that place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now, that's just the men. So with total, it's probably over 10, 11, 12,000 people with, you know, women and children. Now, verse um, 11. Jesus took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they, as much as they wanted. Now, let's think of how ridiculous this is. That, that's, this is totally ridiculous. Jesus says, oh, we got five loaves, two fish. Yeah, right here. Everybody sit down. Have them all sit down. And the disciples sit every day. And they're watching Jesus. He takes the bread and the fish. Lord Jesus, thank oh, Lord Jesus, what does that mean? Father. <laughs> thank you for the food that everyone's about to receive today. And if you're the disciples listening to that, what are you thinking? <laughs> it's five loaves and two little fish. Thank you that everyone's going to eat today. <laughs> Jesus has lost his mind. <laughs> all this, what are you going to do? And then all of a sudden, what happens? He starts molding, starts passing it out, passing it out, passing And they keep passing up. Now, if you're part of the big crowd and you're way out in the distance and the food's getting to you finally, what are you thinking? Where's the in and out truck? Where's this coming from? You don't even know what's going on. You, you're not even close to what has happened. You don't even know. But here it comes. Now, <clears throat> question. How much did everybody get? How much did everybody get? As much as they wanted. So the supply runs out when the demand ends, right? Never forget that. The supply runs out when the demand ends. You quit stepping out in faith. You quit moving forward for God. The supply stops. It's just going to stop. So why should he keep supplying? If you're not going to step out, if you're not going to give... You're not going to serve. Why should he give anymore? Why should he do that? It's, it, it's the supply stops when the demand ends. You go back to, um, jot this down, 2 Kings 4, 6. Elisha, remember he comes upon that woman, just lost her husband, and her creditors come and saying they're going to take everything away. Anyone remember that story? And he says, what you got? She goes, I got this, this, jar, this jar of oil. He goes, okay, go get every pot that you can get. Go find every pot. Okay, she brings all these pots. He goes, okay, start pouring the oil in, a, in the pots. What? Start pouring the oil in the pot. She starts pouring the oil. She fills all these pots with this little jar of oil, pot after pot. After. And then finally she goes, he goes, do you have any more pots? He goes, no, I don't have any more. And the supply stops. And then she pays off all the creditors. But here's the point. The supply ends when the demand ended. When there wasn't another pot, that's when the supply ended. You always understand the more you step out in faith, the more you give, the more you are, you're, you're pushing forward. The, 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 it's going to keep coming. But the moment you stop, well, there's no more demand. There's no more need for this anymore. And so you're going to miss out on whatever God could do in that, in that situation. Now, <clears throat> now, number four in your notes. <clears throat> Never look at the size of the challenge by what we possess. Never look at the size of the challenge by what you and I possess, by what we possess. Look at 12 and 13. 
When they were filled, I like that, don't you? They were filled. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. We could really key off lost there, but I don't think we will tonight. Verse 13. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. People have eaten so much, they go, that's enough. I don't need it. They just leave the leftover food there. There's so much food. It's like, it's ending now. So the five loaves and the two fish explodes in abundance, and there's leftovers all over the place. Jesus says, go pick up all the leftovers. <clears throat> How many like leftovers? I love leftovers. I love, I love leftovers more than I like fresh food, unless they're deep fried tacos. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I love leftovers. I mean, ask my wife. I, I, I'll take one of my leftover things I like to do. I like mod pizza. Anybody like mod pizza? Wow, nobody's saved here. Me and Bruce, oh, wait, we're saved. Like mod, okay. I get the mad dog. I get the mad. I go in there, and they go, and it comes with pepperoni. Comes with, they go, and they go, you want extra? I go, I want the pepperoni carpeted on that thing. <laughs> and they carpet it. And I go, you could throw in some, you could throw bacon on there, too. With it. it comes with ground beef and everything. It's just like, it's, it's insane. I will take that pizza home. I won't eat it yet. I'll put it in the refrigerator. Refrigerator? Yeah, I want it to get cold. Then I'll take it out. And I'll take half it. Because I can't eat a whole pizza anymore. I'm just older now. How many of you can't eat as much as you used to? And it really bothers you. So I take half. I put it in the toaster oven. And I toast that thing till the edges are almost burning. It's like a cracker. And I bring it out. And then I... And I eat like that because it's like a leftover. And then it's so good. But the next day I have the other half. And I take that out. Now it's been really seasoning for 24 hours in the fridge. And I put the other half in the toaster oven. And I burn those edges there. And it's like, I ask Olivia, I'm going, it is so much better even the next day. It's so good. I just love leftovers. It's just, just something about leftovers. I don't know what it is, but I just love it. Now, how many love leftovers? <clears throat> Okay, <clears throat> now, there's 12 baskets left over. He's fed the 5,000 with five loaves, two fish. What's the lesson? What's the test for? What do they learn? What's one of the side lessons before we get to the big picture? I'll tell you what. When you and I surrender and commit your life to Jesus Christ and everything you have and everything you are for the advancement of the kingdom of God, God will multiply it. Will he not? It's a trust lesson. Will you trust me? Will you trust me or will you trust, trust yourself? What's it going to be? Who are you going to trust? Now, <clears throat> let me move deeper in the lesson. Number five, last point. You know, so we're going to jam home on this. Uh, the servants of Jesus always receive more. They always receive more. Let's go to verse 13 again. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the, free, from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. So, the word basket there means a wicker basket. It's, it's a small basket, and you could carry provisions in it. It would last you about two to three days. So it's, it's decent size. You know, later on when he, they have the, the leftovers, they're more like hamper-sized baskets in the Greek. But these are smaller ones right there. But how many baskets leftover, left, leftovers are there? How many disciples are there? Oh. Who served and passed out all the food? The 12 disciples. So the servants who also got to eat 
also got a basket full of leftovers themselves. Isn't that something? That the servants get also much more than everybody else? Now let me blitz, blitz through these verses to get to the main idea uh, because I'm running out of time now. Verse 14. It says, Therefore when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come. Notice not a prophet, the prophet. Who is to come into the world. Now, we have to reflect back because now they see the sign that he's done. What has he just done? Multiplied bread, correct? So now they equate that and say, hmm, this is the prophet. Remember when John the Baptist was on the scene and they sent people to him, they said, who are you? Are you the prophet? Remember that? And the prophet doesn't mean any old prophet. It means the prophet from Deuteronomy 18.15. Moses said there'll be another prophet coming much like me, but he's the one. He's the Messiah to come. So they're saying he's got to be the prophet because think about it. Moses said that he was coming, but Moses multiplied bread from heaven. Remember that one? And then we're going to talk about that next week. That gets comical. Um, but now they see Jesus multiply bread, so they think he's got to be the prophet. Does that make sense so far? So far? Yeah? Okay. Now, uh, verse 15. <clears throat> so Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king. Oh, that's a really good idea. Withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, they want to make him king. How logical is this? Because how many men are there again? 5,000. That's a pretty good start for an army, right? He could easily march with 5,000 men from the Galilee area down south to Jerusalem, overthrow the Romans, overthrow Pilate, overthrow it all, and gather more guys on the way. It'd be a good army. It's, it's a good starting point right there. And so, does Jesus want to be king? Why not? Two reasons. What is he already? He's already the king. <laughs> what is you? You want to make me king? Do you know I'm the king of the universe? He's the king of the universe. Why, why would I want to be a little king down here? It's like, I don't need to do that whatsoever. Now, but here's the point. He didn't come to become an earthly king at that time. He came as a suffering servant. To be made king would to bypass his mission and therefore not save us. So he said, no, we're not, we're not doing that. Now, but isn't it, a, and by the way, he's not in for the votes, okay? I don't need your votes, he's saying. I don't care. And isn't it amazing, and I'll just say it, how free stuff can get you votes? He gave away all this free stuff and no votes. I could go off on that, but I just won't tonight, okay? <laughs> it, I'm going to say this real quick. It always, this isn't blowing my mind, thanks. It's a movie mind. It always reminds me of Gladiator. Remember when Commodus comes back? Do you remember when he's coming in and, every, and, every, and every, the people are going, and they're mad at him? Remember the ones who are mad at him? That's the real situation. But then what does he do to get everybody's mind off the real situation? Give him bread. <laughs> Just no bread. Give him free stuff. And he gets everybody's mind off it. It's a tactic. It was used back then. It's a tactic used all the time to get your mind off the real issues. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Anyway, that was my take on it. Anyway. Verse 16 through 19. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they started across the sea, to cross the sea, to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Now look at me real quick. The Sea of Galilee like this. Here's Tiberias down here. They're going to travel in the water and go up to the very north part of the Sea of Galilee. Um, <clears throat> the sea began to be stirred up because of the strong wind was blowing. 
Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. Uh-huh. Now, let's, let's paint the picture. So we know from other Gospels, not mentioned here, but we know from other Gospels that Jesus told them to get in the boat and go to the other side, right? We know that from other Gospels. And remember this. Somebody's going to say, well, that's a contradiction. No. That's a variant. It's a big difference. If you and I saw an accident, we would give our rendition of it, right? We'd see it from different perspectives. We'd write different things about it. And we'd then we'd put all the pieces together, and that's the full story, correct? Never forget that. What people call contradictions are just variants. That's all they are. And if you ever want to give a really good illustration of that, all you have to do is talk about the Titanic. When the people who got off the Titanic that night in 1912, whatever it was, some of them got off and they were in boats behind the Titanic as it was, you know, it went like this. And remember, Leonardo was up there. Remember that one right there? <laughs> in the backside. And there were some people off to the side of it. So when they interviewed the people, the ones on the side said the ship broke in half. They could see where it broke in half. But the ones in the back couldn't see the ship break in half. So they gave two different perspectives, two different renditions of what happened that night. Were they wrong? No, they're both right. They're just looking at it from different perspectives. That's not a contradiction. That's just a variant. And so that's what happens here. They're just variants. And so you put it all together and you get the full picture of the story. Does that make sense? Because people are going to, oh, contradic contradiction. No, it's not. Okay. Now, so they're out there in the water and they're rowing away. And as they go up there, it's, now it's dark. And then the storm kicks up, and, and the Sea of Galilee is like 680-some feet below sea level. It's, it sits down in the valley, Jordan Valley. The winds kick up, and they do there, and the waves kick up in this lake. And it gets so bad, it can scare you out of your mind out on the water because it gets really bad. And they're out there, and they're rowing away, and they're rowing away. And we know from the other, it says here that they're about three or four miles. That means they're at the halfway point of where they're going. That's the point of no return. Question. When you and I launch out into anything we're going to do, it's exciting at the beginning, right? When does it get scary? The halfway point. What did I do? What did I do? And now you can't turn back because what's the difference? You're out there now. What's the difference? And so they're rowing away and rowing away. Now let me give you two. Let me say this. They're at the point of no return. Jesus is not in the boat. It's dark. It's a storm. We can relate. What do they keep doing? Louder? Rowing. You keep rowing. How many Christians quit rowing? Quit serving? Quit going to fellowship? How many people, how many Christians quit marriages? Quit rowing. Just gonna quit. They quit rowing. You keep rowing. You keep rowing. And you keep rowing. Because all you can do is what? Row all you can do and then of course if you keep rowing you serve you fellowship you do whatever here he comes walking on the water he comes out of the blue there he there he comes and people will say oh you believe you christians believe jesus walked on water i got no problem with that if he can create the entire universe and if he can raise himself from the dead walking on water it's like nothing it's a piece of cake it's like you have a problem with that now, I have no problem with that. Now, watch what Jesus tells them. Verse 20, 21. He says, he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. 
So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. You know, what's interesting is they receive him, and then boom, they're at land, which means they have peace now, right? They move from uh, fear to peace. Receive him, now I have peace. Whenever you receive Christ in your life, shouldn't you start moving in peace now? I think that makes perfect sense. Now, he says, it is I. Now, those are interesting Greek words because um, it is means to be or to exist. I means I. So in other words, he's saying, I'm the self-existent one. It's me. He didn't say I am, but it's pretty close to saying it because he will say I am seven times in this gospel here. Now, here's what I want to finish at. <clears throat> Remember I told you about Nathan asking me about the garage door spring and about being able to pay property taxes separate? Remember that? And it was all new to him, so he's like, Dad, Dad. Remember that story at the beginning? He'd never been through it before. I had. Some of you have. And so to me, it's like, well, it's just not, nothing. This is what you do. But not for him. It's new. But next time that happens for him, guess what? He ain't going to call, Dad. He don't need me. He knows what to do now. I don't need that old guy anymore. I know what to do. Okay. The disciples have never been through this before. Now, I want you to watch the picture. Here's the picture. Why the test was so important. Jesus feeds how many men? 5,000 men, not counting women and children. After he feeds the 5,000 men, he tells them, get into the boat, and then what do they experience? A storm. Wow, that's interesting. Because if you go to the book of Acts, <clears throat> by Acts chapter 4, verse 4, how many men are now born again in the kingdom of God? 5,000. Not counting women and children. 5,000. And then after that, Saul, we know it's Paul now, but Saul, he has Stephen stoned and a storm of persecution invades the church. A storm. You see the parallel? Feed 5,000, then a storm. In their future, church is born, it's growing, 5,000 men, then a storm of persecution. And now they're in it. They're in it, but they've been in it before. They've been in it before, back on this day. They know what it is, 5,000 and a storm, 5,000 and a storm. In the book of Acts, 5,000 and a storm. Jesus took them through the test so that they gained the experience so when it happens, they wouldn't freak out and they wouldn't panic and they'd say, I've been through this before. And Jesus came to me walking on water last time and Jesus will never leave me and he'll never forsake me. I've been through this before. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, because it's so alive. It's so alive. And next week, God, we get to look at all the, all the comical stuff they try to do to get more bread. <laughs> um, but Lord, let us take this lesson home. We grow. We're tested so we can grow and mature. So when we face bigger trials, we've been through this before, and God has never failed us. There were many lessons in the story tonight, God. Let us take something home with us, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.